You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Listen live on 98.7 or 98.3 FM or stream live from rwpfm.com.au. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Now into our science and technology news for the week. There's some terrific stuff on the Tasmanian tiger if you're interested in that uh, long extinct animal from the early part of the 1900s it was unfortunately hunted to extinction down in Tasmania they didn't like the fact that it ate sheep mm-hmm. and apparently that actually wasn't the case it was other animals uh, possibly uh, that were threatening sheep right. uh, the Tasmanian tiger was not a big problem it was a scapegoat, to, yeah. to sheep yeah it was kind of a scapegoat and there was a bounty put on it very sadly it was a, a unique animal it was a marsupial but looked a little bit like a dog it had stripes on the side of it i think the last one was in about 1936 i think it was in captivity in a Tasmanian zoo the University of Melbourne has done a recent study. It was published last Wednesday in the journal Royal Society of Open Science, and a bit more about that later. They studied baby thylacines, so that's the Tasmanian tiger, that were preserved in jars and used CT scans to help pinpoint when they developed the characteristics they share with canines. Now, the reason this is interesting is that Tasmanian tigers are an example of convergent evolution, where two unrelated organisms evolve to look or function alike because of the similar niches they fill in their environment. So in other words, they evolved completely separately from wolves and dogs down in Tasmania, and they were cut off, I think, for 150 million years from their sort of genetic forebears. But because of the similar activities that they mm-hmm. were doing and the kind of the, the sort of the the hunting carnivores, nature, yeah. hunting, the climates and so on, they wound up looking similar. So this is kind of just interesting as far as evolution is concerned. And, and they are one of the sort of cited by scientists and evolutionary scientists as one of the best examples that we have of convergent evolution. They sequenced the genome, hadn't yep, they? they have, yeah, they have done that. There's some terrific scans and things which are available. And these have all been made completely publicly available because of the rarity of this information. It's been made openly available via a digital repository called Dryad. That's D-R-Y-A-D. The web address is datadryad.org. There you'll actually find gigabytes of data, which has been produced by a collaboration of researchers in Australia and elsewhere to actually map these early examples they had of developing thylacines, the Tasmanian tiger, and what they can actually work out in terms of how they developed. And there really is some, some great graphic and gifts that you can look at so i recommend that we'll post it on our website beyondinfinity.com.au along with the SciTech news for the week yeah i do recommend the dryad digital repository to you it's a non-profit membership organization it's a curated resource that makes the data underlying scientific publications discoverable freely reusable and citable and it provides a general purpose home for wide diversity of databases the vision is to promote a world where research data is openly available integrated with the scholarly literature and routinely reused to create knowledge so a great resource there especially if you want to check out the new information about the tasmanian tiger Moving on with our news, mining the moon for water could be quite a good option. Now, mm. I wouldn't be suggesting that you uh, you know, saddle up your Tesla Roadster and, <laughs> and blast off to the moon and hope mm-hmm. that you're going to be able to live off the land and you've got plenty of drinking water and even potentially rocket fuel. But there's a, uh, an orbiter, Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, it's a NASA orbiter that's been uh, studying the surface uh, and it's got some pretty good instruments on board, one in particular called the Diviner instrument, appropriately, because it's looking for water. It found that there's actually a lot of water and it's evenly distributed right 
over the, the whole surface of the moon. Mm-hmm. It's not just in the poles where it was previously thought to be, but it's in the regolith, and it's not actually H2O. It's uh, hydroxyl, which is OH, and that's a more reactive relative of water that is made of one oxygen atom and one hydrogen atom. I assume like fuels of the future. Well, it could be, but it's you're going to need to mine it because mm-hmm. it attaches itself to other molecules. Mm-hmm. So it's in rocks. Yep. It's not like in you know in the form of ice where you can just sort of dig into it and use it as drinking water or potentially to make fuel. You're going to have to find a way of mining it out mm-hmm. of the rocks. But the good news is, according to this theory anyway from LRO, that water is plentiful and it's distributed evenly right over the whole moon mm-hmm. surface, regardless of where you are, whether you're in a mare or in the highlands. Where it came from is still quite a debatable point it's possible that it was there when the moon was formed mm-hmm. it's possible that it's arrived via meteors or collisions over time on the moon mm-hmm. there's a lot that they have to work out as i said to start with there it would be premature to uh, blast off and hope that you can live <laughs> off the land on the moon just yet but an exciting discovery because if there is plenty of water on the moon and there is found a way to, to extract it from the uh, lunar rocks then it would provide a way to you know water supply potentially a fuel source and you know you can use it for growing plants watering yeah. your nurseries that sort of stuff so it could be that we go back to the moon and use it as a sort of an outpost to learn the skills that will be necessary to colonize mars now i should mention the opportunity rover it's one of the uh, mars exploration rovers launched back in 2003 it arrived on mars on january the 25th 2004 this weekend this saturday will mark its 5000th day that's martian day or sol on the surface of Mars, successfully driving around, solar-powered, doing science there. So this is a real landmark, an amazing achievement for a rover that was intended to last at most 90 days. Yeah, and still so collecting it's, data. It's, and, absolutely. Yeah. still Not everything's perfect. Things are wearing out. Like the are, wheels and things. Are you know, the wheels, just... Yeah, look, there, there's wear and tear on everything. Yeah. But one of the things that's made it possible to keep going is they've had these regular, there's uh, little dust devils on the surface of Mars in Meridiani Planum, which is where the rover's driving around. These have cleared the solar panels and allowed it to have plenty of power to survive the cold Martian winters and to keep roving. Incredibly successful mission that. It's now in a place called Perseverance Valley, studying the rock formations there. There's some curious patterns of kind of gravel that appear to be organised by some process, uh, almost like corrugations on the surface. So that's one of the things that they're studying there. It's mysterious and it's exciting. The, The researchers involved with the project reckon that they will be able to work this one out. Perseverance Valley is part of Endurance Crater where the rover has been for a number of years now. I think five or six years it's been, I think since 2011. Some great stuff there. We'll post links. Check it out this Saturday, marking 5,000 days for that rover. Mm. And then it's also obviously the Curiosity rover is still going strong as well at Gale Crater. John, what, what have you got for us, mate? If you've made a transaction through to a scammer via Western Union between uh, 2004 to 2017, perhaps you were caught up in some kind of uh, unknown scam and you had sent your money via the Western Union system, you might be up for a refund claim. So you might be able to get your money back. So this is coming from uh, something that's happening in the United States at the moment, but is actually opened up essentially to the world from my understanding. Now, information is available from westernunionremission.com. This particular story has come from the scamwatch.gov.au website that the HCC publishes. Mm -hmm. And basically it's saying that if you made a transaction between 1 January 2004 and 19 January 2017, you can 
can submit a claim to the US DOJ either online or by post. Now, this needs to be done by the 31st of May 2018. Right. If you made a transaction years ago and you know you made it, but you can't find the records, you might be able to approach Western Union Australia or New Zealand or even Austrac, and they might be able to assist you with some of the records as well and okay. provide that to you. Hmm. So you can write to them. We'll have a link to all this information. So if you have been caught up in a scam in past, then please do investigate this more. You may be able to get your money back. Certainly no guarantees, but uh, it's, a, it's a good signal that you might be able to get that hard-earned money back. Fantastic. Now, we've been following South Australia. The Labor government there has been doing uh, some really great projects. Uh, the, the, the Tesla battery and the solar panels for the 50,000 homes. And their next big project, should they win the, the next election, the upcoming election, is to provide faster than the NBN internet. So this is sort of dubbed a fishbone. Basically, they've uh, promised $35 million investment into South Australia. And it's will be available to households, but it's to sort of supercharge businesses that rely on uh, fast internet. So it's supposed to be faster speed than the NBN. You know, a lot of people anecdotally have basically said that the fiber to the node NBN is horrific. It uh, has lots of dropouts and it doesn't have the speeds that were required or ex- essentially expected from uh, this, the system that we have. But this system should provide much faster speeds. You know, for example, there's an apps and games developer, which is Mighty Kingdom, and they've welcomed the plan. Their spokesman, Dan Thorsland, had said that the internet was vital for success. I quote, I need as it as much as I need electricity and as much as I need talent. I've got both of those, but I don't have fast internet speeds. Mm. I don't have exactly what I need to get to meet uh, to the rest of the world. That is one of the key problems that we're having with this network that we were sold, you know, taxpayers' money that goes into developing a, what was supposed to be a world-class system and it's already coming off second rate. Now, later in the show, we'll have a bit more uh, news on what's coming with the future technology from Telstra, but... It, it is a positive sign for uh, for South Australia if they're looking to sort of upgrade their speeds with this fishbone network. Mm, exciting. And, and mm. just uh, finally for me, it looks like AI can be trained to spot heart disease risks via a retinal scan. So this is when you go to the optometrist and they check your eyes, they're looking at uh, the blood vessels at the back of your eyes and a number of other the key features in there. What they've been able to do is take a lot of these images and scans and send it through the machine learning programs. They're there was markers of known conditions, known problems. And they basically said, okay, here's the images with people that have got problems and go and work out what all you know the issues are and then see if you can apply that to cases where you don't know what the problem is and then see if you can pick up something there. Right. It looks at uh, blood vessels. It looks at the size of the veins in the eye. It can then determine levels of cholesterol. It can determine blood pressure. The team working with uh, Google, Verily Life Sciences and the Deep Learning network using these retinal images to uh, discover conditions basically they used nearly 300,000 patient images tagged with the relevant information as I said Mm. and they fed into that the status like age and smoking status blood pressure and the BMI your body mass index once it was set loose on 13,000 images and basically sort of you know to see how well it matched up with uh, those people from those 13,000 images it was able to typically get within about three and a half years 
of the patient's actual age. It did very well in estimating the patient's blood pressure and the body mass index. So this is then providing that uh, risk of major cardiac problem within the next five years. The future of uh, scans might be via your eye to, to see what sort of health conditions you are. Well, they've always said that the eyes are the windows to the soul. Yes, exactly. Now, there is a full paper available on this from National Biomedical Engineering, and we'll post a link to anyone that's interested in reading up on that study. Studying the, the eye as a window to determining health has been around for a while, but it sounds like with machine learning, they're really just the ability to have a lot of data yes. to mine. Yep. They're getting a lot better at, at nailing down exactly what, what sort of illnesses are suggested by conditions in the eye, well, look, signs in the eye. Doctors, optometrists, ophthalmologists, they're not perfect. Mm. Uh, they're humans, mm. and they might miss one small little feature or may not be able to see that one little problem. And this is where the machine learning will pick up everything in the picture. And it's easier than an invasive surgery or something like exactly, that. Exactly. Yep, yeah. Indeed. Great. Now, I'm only going to mention it briefly because we're going to say more about it in a feature coming up later in the show. But Samsung has unveiled its new flagship smartphone, the Galaxy S9. This is a phone that's got a phone jack, unlike a lot of phones these jack, days. Yep. It's got a headphone jack, which a lot of people will be happy about. Yes. Myself included. It's if actually I, called a feature now, which is crazy. It's a yeah. feature. Yeah. 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 It's very similar to the previous model in form. But one of the things that really struck me is smartphone sales are apparently flat last year, right? But they still sold worldwide 1.47 billion units. Mm. That was down 0.1% from the previous years. But my God, what a... What a truckload of phones to be maybe moving. That, maybe that's a testament to the quality that is being built now that you can hold onto your phone a little bit longer. Right. Now, I've just updated my phone. I'm actually waiting for it to be delivered. Mm. But the problem is my current phone is essentially dead. It's, it hasn't even lasted the full two years. Mm. I'm you know, starting to hear some reports where people are using their phones for three years in some cases. Mm. I know you were using an iPhone for about four or five years. Yeah, four, and was, four and a bit. Yeah, yep. and it was still going quite well. Yep. So I think the quality is certainly improving. It's great to have new features every year, but if we can get more than two years out of a phone I think that's not only better for your back pocket but the environment Absolutely. and everything else yeah. indeed thanks for listening and head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media we welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows